Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Happy Resurrection Sunday, the main event, the big deal. Some Christians call it the Super Bowl of uh, Christianity. Welcome to however you want to call it. Uh, it is an honor to have you with us today. And uh, in just a moment, I'm going to get into the word. But before I do that, I just want to remind us that we are here, yes, celebrating, as we do every single year on Easter, uh, the fact that we serve a risen king today. He is alive and he is well. And uh, I know that many of you, this is maybe a tradition for you, you come to church on Easter or on Christmas or whatever. But uh, I, I want to invite you to continue on in that relationship with Jesus because we are uh, we're not here celebrating a God that is no longer with us. We are celebrating a Jesus that is resurrected and is alive and well, and he's still sitting on the throne. One of my favorite scriptures to read every year on, uh, on Easter, and um, I know this is like the obligatory pastor one, but check out what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless, and we apostles would all be lying about God. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins, and we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Come on, we're not wasting our time. We're not wasting our breath. This is the eternal foundation that we have built our lives upon. We, we are celebrating the fact that we are not memorializing a dead religious leader that we can find in Jerusalem somewhere, buried away in a tomb like many other world religions. Our king is on the throne, alive and well, ruling and reigning for all eternity. How many grateful today that you serve a living king? Hallelujah. Now, traditionally, in an Easter setting like this, we would spend the remainder of our time, or at least I would spend the remainder of our time, talking about that fact that we serve a resurrected king. Uh, but if the Father's House is your home church, you know that we are anything but traditional around here. And I would like to break tradition, if I could, ever so gently today. Uh, because as I was praying about what to share this morning for our Easter services, I couldn't help but think that before we talk about Sunday, it's important that we spend a little bit of time talking about Friday, what took place just a couple of days ago. I don't think that we can accurately appropriate the events of Resurrection Sunday until we first personalize the events of Good Friday. Because here's the deal, I know that, I don't know how many people are here this morning, but however many hundreds of us are here, none of us were alive during the time when Christ gave his life on a cross, none of us were there. But let me tell you, the events of that crucifixion were incredibly personal. Jesus knew your face, he knew your name, he knew you'd be here today, and, and he took that cross for every single one of us. And I'd like us, if we could, for the next couple of moments to, to personalize those events so that we can appropriate the fact that he is a risen king and make sure that we apply that to our lives correctly. Um, if this is your church that you attend on a week-to-week -week basis, your home church, you know that we have been in a series for the last four weeks entitled All Hail, and we have been talking about the subject of worship, specifically about the significance of what takes place when we as individuals or a collective group of people, as we did just a moment ago, lift up our voices and we sing to our God. And uh, this series has been, in true Sesame Street fashion, brought to us by the letter P. We have talked about a P word every single week and applied that word to our worship and we started by talking about uh, the purpose of worship, to draw near to God, and then the power of worship to set us free, and the potential of worship to bring heaven to earth, as I think we just experienced a moment ago. And then last week, we didn't do a lot of talking. We spent most of our time singing, which I think is going to become a new tradition around the Father's house for Palm Sunday, and we talked about the pursuit of worship. It was a powerful time together. Uh, but this week, as we conclude a series, which might seem a bit unorthodox on Easter, but something we're going to do anyway today, I want to talk about one more P, and that is the passion, the passion of worship. 
Uh, if you've been following Jesus for any length of time or maybe you've been attending church, you know that yesterday marked the conclusion of what many would call Passion Week or Holy Week. And that might seem like an odd phrase to use when you consider the events of the crucifixion, the brutality of what Jesus endured. To call it passion might be a bit of an odd word, but that word is actually a 1,300-year-old word uh, formed in the Latin, and it actually means to suffer. And, and suffering is perhaps a more accurate phrase to describe what Jesus endured during that last couple of hours on the cross when he was beaten beyond recognition, when he was whipped, when he was bruised, crown placed over his head of thorns. Suffering makes a little bit more sense. But as my wife mentioned last week when we took communion together during our pursuit gathering, all of that suffering was intentional. Every bit of his passion was for a purpose. None of it was done in vain. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing and he was prophetically fulfilling scripture in his passionate suffering. And I think, as we conclude this series on worship, I think there is no greater motivation to worship him than to witness his passion, to see his suffering. In fact, that should provoke us. It should provoke our hearts to lift up our voices and to worship him as king. And so that's what we're gonna do for a couple of moments today. We're gonna look back to Friday, look at his passion before we look forward to Sunday. Don't worry, I won't leave it like in the dark today. You're gonna leave here happy, okay? But we're gonna, we're gonna talk about the crucifixion for just a couple of moments. Like, man, what about the happy ending? It's the same ending every single year, all right? It, it happens all that he gets out of the grave, okay? Oh man, you spoiled it. So here we, here's a, what we're gonna look at this morning. In John chapter 19, these are the words of the apostle John uh, speaking about the last couple of moments Jesus remained on that cross. He said, Jesus knew that his mission was now fulfilled and to fulfill scripture, he said, I thirst. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and they held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split apart, and the tombs opened. And the bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. It is finished. Upon hearing those words, creation itself responded. The veil in the temple tore the earth shook, the rocks split, the graves opened, all because of those three words. It is finished. We have a tradition in my house that usually takes place on Thursdays or Fridays whenever the sermon is done being written, whether it's myself or, or Robin writing it. Uh, at the conclusion of our sermon preparation, we come in through the back door because our office is in the backyard because we're broke. And uh, <laughs> one of us yells at the top of our lungs, it is, and then everybody else in the house knows that they're supposed to respond with, finished. So to edify me today, before we get too deep into the message, I'm gonna try that as a collective group. Can we do that? It is finished. Oh, that was good. I need y'all to come hang out with me on Friday. That'd be a little bit better. I like it. It is finished. You're gonna have a few opportunities to throw that in during the sermon today. I wanna call this chat on Easter 2022, the finished line, the finished line. Let's pray as we get in. Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now to speak to us. God, I thank you that your presence is here among us today, that you have made good on your promise that when we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. We sense your nearness in this space. And right now, whether we've been coming to church for years or someone invited us to the house of God for the first time today, we just say we open our hearts to receive from you. We open our minds to receive from you. 
Father, I pray for every person in the room today that might be at a distance from you. Don't let them remain there before they leave this place. Would you make the invitation, would you woo them with your love this morning and may they leave this place transformed and forever changed. There's no better way to respond to Easter than to come to know you as a personal friend and savior. So we love you, we thank you for what you're gonna do over the next couple of moments and we pray all this in Jesus' name and the church said amen, amen, amen. So I was uh, talking with a friend of mine uh, a couple of days ago about our days as youth pastors. Um, Before my wife and I planted this church, uh, we were youth pastors for a decade at a different church, which I know is hard to believe, you know, based on my maturity and my poise, and, and that's not a joke. Um, but uh, if it were possible, my, my hair was grayer and uh, my jeans were even skinnier for about a decade uh, as I was a youth pastor. And my friend and I were talking about uh, some of our days when we served together in youth ministry and just laughing as we were reminiscing about different camp events or conference things and you know ways we embarrassed kids. But the conversation turned and we started talking about some of the sermon series and the sermons we used to preach. And that laughing turned to blushing a little bit because we begin to realize that neither one of us have any business holding a microphone and telling people about Jesus based on some of the things that we've said from stage before. Like it is an absolute miracle that God still entrusts me to do what I'm doing based on my track record, if I'm being honest. And at the risk of offending some people this morning, I'm going to share some of the things that I should have never shared from a stage before, just so you know where I came from, all right? So you can appreciate the growth in my life, all right? It's awesome. Uh, Most of them were just aimed at being funny, uh, and then they turned inappropriate later. Uh, For example, we did a a series uh, called Live Like Tim, and uh, it was a subtle jab at narcissism, since that is my name, Um, but it was based on the Apostle Paul's admonition to his protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4.12, where he says, hey, don't let anybody look down on you because you're a teenager, because you're young. Hey, if you're here today and you're under the age of 20, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. You can still set uh, an example for other believers in the way that you live, and Paul tells Timothy, set an example in your conduct, in your faith, in your speech, in your love, in your purity, and I mean, in and of itself, that sounds like a pretty good you're like, okay, I don't see anything inappropriate about that. And if we had just left it with the word of God, it would have stayed appropriate. (laughs) But instead, we decided to film these little bumper videos before every one of the sermons, all correlating with one of Paul's encouragements to Timothy uh, for, you know, purity and speech and love and all of that. And uh, I was a character inside these videos. I was Mr. T., Uh, Mr. Tim, and I I channeled my inner Mr. T, wore a tank top and some shorts and tried to, you know, put put some gold chains on, and I would bust into these situations where people were violating what Paul told Timothy to set an example in and remind them in a Mr. T voice why they shouldn't do what they're doing. So in one setting, uh, there was a couple of girls in the women's bathroom, and I was hiding away inside the stall in the women's bathroom. And all of a sudden I kick open the door in the stall because they're like, they're like gossiping in front of the mirror about someone else in the youth ministry. And I kick it open. I say, Hey, what are you girls doing talking all that smack? Don't you know any better? Live like Tim. And in that moment, I did one of these motions. And then like the graphics people made it look like I slapped a couple of girls across their face in the women's bathroom. And there were some parents that were not pleased that the youth pastor of 30 years old was in the women's bathroom in the first place and then hitting women inside the bathroom. Not... Not ideal, inappropriate. Others were just like, no pastor should ever say this from a stage. I preached a sermon out of the book of uh, Hosea called Pimp My Bride. Not good. Yeah. Um, I preached another sermon uh, uh, called Get Out of Shatim. 
uh, and it was when Joshua told the people to leave camp before they entered into the promised land. But at the time, I wasn't polished up on my Hebrew, and so I mispronounced Shatim from the stage, and then I said it over and over and over and over again. And you can imagine what that might have sounded like to a group of teenagers, not great. Uh, there was one I preached called um, A Big Ask, It was out of the book of James where he says, you have not because you ask not. And it's like, well, you know, God doesn't like itty bitty. Anyway, you know where this all went. Okay, so. Aren't you glad I've matured though? My God, I'm so much better today. Yes. All of a sudden next week, new series. Just kidding. Okay. But as we were reminiscing on all the inappropriate things we did, we were discussing a sermon series that I actually remember quite fondly. It was, it was really formative for our youth ministry, and it was, it was one that even a decade later still sticks out to me. Uh, we, we did a series in our youth ministry called Last Words. And the whole premise of the series, I sat down, the five or six communicators on our team, and we're sitting in a conference room, and I said, okay, here's what I want each of you to imagine. You're each going to preach a message during this series, and I want you to pretend that you have one week to live. This is the last week of your life. And at the conclusion of that week, you're gonna stand in front of our 400 students and you have one last chance to use your words to change their life. If you knew that the words that were about to come out of your mouth were the last words, what would you say? And I can remember just the weight of that question settling in the room. I know that's probably not something we think about often, but you know, a bunch of people in their 20s and 30s going like, man, if I had one more chance to speak, what would I say? What would my life message be? Because last words are significant. Last words are really important. You, you, you don't waste time with your last words. And such was the case for, for Jesus here. We actually have the opportunity as believers on this side of history with a, a, a Bible full of scriptures, we get to see the very words that Jesus uttered in his last moments on the cross. And they were incredibly significant words. They were not some offering into the atmosphere of pain and, oh, I'm just gonna flippantly throw. These were very significant, specific words that Jesus chose. It is finished. So much so that this is the only place in the entire canon of scripture that you will see this phrase. Uh, The biblical authors felt that no other setting was appropriate to include this phrase. Only here in crucifixion in his last moments on the cross do we see it is finished. Those are incredibly significant words. In fact, just to allow the weight of them to settle in, look at what the theologian Spurgeon has to say. He says, an ocean of meaning in a drop of language, a mere drop. We need all the other words that were ever spoken or ever can be spoken to explain this one. It is altogether immeasurable. Oh, so my iPad just changed up. Someone just text me. How dare you text me for a minute? Okay. Altogether immeasurable. It is high. I cannot attain to it. It is deep. I cannot fathom it. It is finished is the most charming note in all of Calvary's music. The fire has passed upon the lamb. He has borne the whole of the wrath that was due his people. This is the royal dish of the feast of love. Anyone else ever just feel unintelligent sometimes when you read the old guys? You're like, yeah, I talk like that too sometimes. <laughs> what, what a powerful statement. The, the royal dish and the feast of love. It is finished. In the Greek, these three English words are actually a single word. And it is the word tetelestai, tetelestai. And while the definition of this word does carry with it the thought of completion or something being finished, it is actually not a word you would have expected to hear in this setting. In fact, 
More commonly in the Greek language, they would have used another word, the word teleo, to describe the reality of something being completed or something being finished. But this word, tetelestai, it was reserved for an entirely different setting. No one would have expected to hear tetelestai from a cross. In fact, they were more accustomed to hearing that phrase in a Colosseum, specifically at the conclusion of a race. Um, in in, in Greco-Roman culture, when an athlete or an Olympian crossed the finish line in first place at the end of a race, it was common for them to lift both of their hands up into the air and to scream at the top of their lungs, Tetelestai! It it was a statement of of victory. And, And when they lifted their hands and they screamed, they were accompanied by the crowds in the Colosseum cheering because they were the ones that crossed the finish line in first place. A winner is the only person who would have ever been shouting such a phrase. Tetelestai, victory. But from a cross? After being executed on a Roman torture device and beaten beyond recognition, this does not seem to be an appropriate setting to use this word. I would imagine the the guards and the Roman soldiers that had crucified Jesus, upon hearing him utter this phrase, would have scratched their head and thought to themselves, What is this guy talking about? This is not victory. We've defeated him. He's dying right in front of us. Who would dare victory? And yet, we know, based on the events that transpired directly after Jesus uttered this phrase, that this was not a moment of defeat for our Savior. This was not defeat, as every one of the soldiers might have assumed. No, this was, in fact, the moment of the greatest victory that humanity has ever witnessed. And so I want to look at these events, just these brief two events that took place after Jesus made this statement, because I think if we can see their significance, it will transform the way we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Uh, The first of them is this. Uh, The gospel writer Matthew says in chapter 27, verse 51, after Jesus declared it is finished, at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The temple curtain was torn in two. Now, in and of itself, that might not seem like a very significant detail. You're like, cool, the, the drapes ripped. Awesome, my curtains are torn. You don't hear me bragging about it, like, whatever. But... To understand the significance of this moment, you need to understand what this curtain in the temple represented. Um, To the Jews at this time, this temple curtain would have been known as the veil. And the veil was a 30 foot wide, 30 foot tall curtain, about a foot and a half thick woven together. And its purpose was to separate ordinary people from the presence of God. The the presence of God or the Ark of the Covenant, which housed the presence of God, uh, was behind this curtain in a place they called the Holy of Holies. And no ordinary human had access to God's presence. In fact, there was only one person, one time a year, the high priest, who would ever be allowed to go beyond that veil, go beyond that curtain and access the presence of God. And it was for the purpose of making a sacrifice for the people so that they could be made right with God. But even before he entered, he had to undergo a number of purification rituals in order to access the presence. But if an impure priest or an ordinary person walked into the presence, just waltzed in there, they were surely going to die. And so this veil, it represents separation. 
It represents distance between God and his people. In its simplest form, this giant veil said, what's beyond this point is off limits to you. Uh, That would not be unlike the the veil that maybe we would be a bit more accustomed to in our culture. Um, One of these. Uh, Now, I know that these are not super popular any longer in weddings. Um, Maybe women don't wear these as much, but let me just check. Any any ladies in here wear a veil for your wedding? Wait, hold on, let me ask that question. Did you wear a veil over your face, not just draped over your hair, but, you know, as a decorative piece? Okay, a lot fewer hands, yeah. The veil has no place with the modern woman any longer. Yes, I understand, okay. But interestingly enough, this, this veil serves a very significant purpose that looks quite a bit like what we're reading in Scripture right now. Uh, allow me to demonstrate. Um, have my bride come to the stage. Please come this way, Robin. Would you adorn that for me? This is what she wore on our wedding day. Isn't it great? My little cucumber here. It's awesome. Okay. Someone said the first service, like, that was so offensive when you called her a cucumber. I'm like, she doesn't like pear or avocado. Like, those are different shapes. She likes cucumber. I said, okay, we'll go with cucumber. So if, uh, if somebody here, come on over here. If somebody in a wedding uh, ceremony today was traditional enough to have a veil, and you've probably been to some of these weddings before, generally what happens is as the father or the, whomever is walking her down the aisle gets to the end before he hands her off to the groom, uh, he removes the veil, he gives his daughter a kiss on the cheek, and then he hands her over to her groom. That's how we've traditionally used the veil in our setting. However, that is not how the veil was originally designed to be used in a wedding ceremony. Traditionally, if you follow it all the way back, the veil actually remained over the face of the bride for the entirety of the wedding ceremony. It wasn't until after the bride and the groom made a covenant between each other and before God that the groom was allowed to lift that veil himself and grant himself access to his bride. If there was no covenant, there was no access. Some of y'all single ladies need to hear that right now. If there was no covenant, there is no access. No wedding, no betting. All right, let's just get it clear in Jesus' name. All right. My girl, Bianca Oltoff from the OC, she says, no ringy, no thingy, or so. I don't know, it's way inappropriate. She's still a youth pastor, okay, we're working out, okay. But after a covenant has been made, after the groom looks into the eyes of his bride and he says, I will have you and you alone uh, in sickness and in health till death do us part. Before God, I promise to keep myself only unto you. (laughs) He's preaching, hey. Until that covenant has been made, there's a veil. But once that covenant is made, he was allowed to lift that veil and all access was granted. Hallelujah. Shall we go for it? Okay. Shall we go for it? I'm all sweaty now. It's awesome. Okay. <laughs> Hold on a second. Okay. Okay. For the sake of our, our sermon, if you're taking notes, write this phrase down. A new covenant allows access. A new covenant allows access. When Jesus made this statement from the cross, it is finished. When he declared victory in that moment, there was the establishment of a new covenant between God and people. There was a new covenant that was being set into place that would once and for all address the distance between humanity and God. 
No longer would only a priest be allowed access to the presence of God. No longer would it be just the holy and the put together and the righteous and the pure that could access God. No, he was making a way once and for all for everybody to access his presence. Everybody can walk right beyond that veil and get close to God. Furthermore, let it be noted that this was not of any human effort. This was not a new covenant that was established. It was established because humans did anything in the process. What did it say? It said the, tail, the veil was torn from top to bottom. There wasn't some buff temple assistant waiting at the bottom of the curtain for, you know, Jesus to say, it is finished. And then like they did in youth ministry in the 90s with like phone books, he's just tearing apart the veil. No, it was from top to bottom. It was 30 feet tall. There was no one shimmying up to the top to tear that veil. This was the God of heaven reaching down onto the creation he made and saying, I am taking personal responsibility for the distance. No longer do you have to stay away from me. I'm establishing a new covenant so that everybody, not just the priest, not just the righteous, but everybody because of this covenant now has access to me. The, the, the writer of Hebrews says it like this. He says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I'll put my law in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened up a new and life-giving way through the veil, through the veil, through the veil into the most holy place. Through the veil, through the veil. No longer do we have to stay on some other side of an impenetrable curtain because of our sin and our shame and our failure. No, the God of heaven has made a way for all humanity to access him in relationship, to be close to him. All, as our video said a moment ago, all tribes, all tongues, all backgrounds, all walks of life, regardless of past or pedigree or performance, all, the broken, the lame, the sick, the fallen, the failed, the sinful, the ashamed, the fearful, everybody has been given access to the king. And yet so many people willfully choose to stay on the other side of this curtain that has been torn. They can see that a an opportunity has been made, but they stay at a distance because they think that there's no way the God of heaven would want to share his presence with someone as messed up as they are. But listen, to stay at a distance is to suggest that his sacrifice was insufficient for you. It is not about you. It is about him and what he has already done on your behalf. Do not stay at a distance and do what Adam and Eve did at the beginning of time and try to cover yourself up because you feel guilty and ashamed. He literally tore the veil so that you could get to him. You were the one on the other side of that veil. You were the bride that he was ripping that veil to get to. And you do not have to stay at a distance from the Father. I know that there's people that are probably here this morning and, and you feel miles away from God today. Listen, you do not have to stay there. I know maybe a friend invited you or you saw something on Instagram or however you got here, but let me be clear. It was Jesus that invited you to his house today because he wanted you to see beyond that veil you've put in front of your face 
so that you could gaze upon the one who loves you and tore that veil to get to you and you could enter in to relationship with him. And if that's you this morning, maybe you are at a distance from God. I, I know we're in the middle of a sermon right now and this is an unorthodox place to do this, but I wanna make time right now, here in this moment, for you to get things right with Jesus. At last service, there were many that just said, man, I'm at a distance and I don't wanna stay there any longer. And they made this decision to come close to him. And I, I wanna pray a simple prayer today. If you're, at, if you're far from God, don't stay there. Take advantage of this moment right now and let's pray together for you to get that veil thing sorted out with him. Why don't we bow our heads real quick and close our eyes and I got more of a sermon to preach in just a moment, but it doesn't matter until we get this one right. If you're here this morning and you'd say, Tim, I, I am one of those that's on the other side of that veil. I'm at a distance from God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that literally there's like a veil over the eyes and the spirit that keep people from seeing Jesus. And maybe over the course of our service together, you've even sensed the Holy Spirit just ripping back that veil so that you can see him clearly today. If that's you and you know because the Holy Spirit's tapping on your heart, I wanna pray with you. And as I pray with you, would you just quickly maybe look up at me and say, hey Tim, I need to pray that prayer with you this morning so that I know who I'm praying with. I got you right back there, bro. Thank you. Yeah, I got you there, man. Yeah. Right up there, awesome. Yeah, right back there, cool. Over here, cool. Awesome, and you don't have to lift your hand. If you didn't, that's cool. You can still pray along with me, but let's just say this prayer together in our hearts. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life, and I thank you that you died on a cross and gave yours for mine. I thank you that you don't make it complicated. I don't have to clean myself up to get to you. It's not the new and improved version of me that you wanted. It's just me as I am. So I come to you today, forgive me of my past. Help me to be your disciple from this moment on until that day where I see you in heaven and you look at me and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been set before you. I receive all of you today and I give all of me in return in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen, amen. Come on, let's thank God for those making that decision. You just prayed that prayer, and uh, even if you didn't lift your hand, I'm gonna give you some instructions in just a little bit so that we can help you take your next step, but that is the best decision you will ever make on planet Earth. Uh, as they used to say in the old days, welcome to the family of God. It is good to have you here. So with that, let's get into this last thought, the second thing that took place as a result of Jesus declaring it is finished. Um, Matthew says it like this in 27, verse 52. He said, the earth shook, the rocks split apart, and the tombs broke up open. The bodies of many holy, holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus's resurrection. Okay, pause here for a moment. That's freaky. I think sometimes we just read through the scriptures and we're like, okay, cool. Yes, oh, my Bible reading plan, check the little box. I did that. Can we just stop for a moment and think about this scenario? Jesus goes, it is finished. And upon giving up the ghost, there's an earthquake and tombs literally open up. Like the graveyard is just, oh, just tombs opening up. And then it says three days later, when Jesus resurrected, people that used to be dead were not dead anymore. Like they're just walking around the city, revealing themselves. I mean, could you imagine that for a moment? Sunday morning, you wake up, get out of bed. Your grandma that died in 2018 is in the kitchen making you pancakes. And she's like, hi, honey, I missed you. And so good to see you again. Would you like a pancake? And you're like, uh... That's some freaky zombie apocalypse kind of stuff right there. And I won't like spend a lot of time talking about it, but 
If you want to hear us talk about it, I actually preached a sermon about that during our first Easter together. I literally brought a coffin out onto the stage. I got into it and I got out of it. Again, I have matured. I'm doing much better now. Okay, so we're not gonna do that today. But for our sermon today, write this down if you're a note taker, is all I wanna get out of that scripture. His death gave birth to new life. Can we say that together? His death gave birth to new life. There was victory over Death. When Jesus declared it was finished, he was not simply declaring victory over the distance and separation. He was literally declaring victory over death in that moment. Not, not earthly death per se, not, not the mortality. We are all still going to die, but a different kind of death. Death that, that comes as a result of, of sin. The, the death that kills our spirit man. Paul refers to it like this in Romans chapter six, verse 23. He says the wages or the payment, the repercussion of sin is death. And unlike our mortality, that death comes in a couple of forms. Perhaps the most obvious one that you'd expect to hear about in church is the eternal death. There is such a thing as eternal death. I know it's not a popular subject to talk about in church, but it's a reality. There is an eternal separation from Christ, an eternal veil, if you will. It was a place that was never created for humans. It wasn't made for us. It was created for Satan and for his demons. But sadly, it is a place that many people will spend an eternity if they reject Christ here on the earth. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life to get to the Father. But we just dealt with that one a moment ago. So we don't need to freak out about the eternal death one because we said he gave his life on a cross for us. He already shed his blood and we don't have to concern ourselves about whether or not we're gonna spend eternity apart from him because if we've accepted him as Lord, our name is written in the Lamb's book of life and our eternity is spoken for. That's why Romans 6.23 ends by saying, yes, although the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Come on, I'm grateful today that it was his grace that made a way for me to spend eternity with him. So check, that death is settled. But there's another death, a more subtle version of death that many of us have experienced on this side of eternity. Maybe some in the room are experiencing it right now. A death that actually makes its way into your life. It comes in the form of addiction, abuse, anger, Fear, depression, self-harm, thoughts of suicide, guilt, shame, regret. Call it whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of names. At the end of the day, it's the wages of sin that ultimately become death that we have to deal with here on this side of eternity. And dead religion would tell you that you're stuck dealing with that death as long as you're on planet Earth. Dead religion would tell you that Until you get to heaven, there's no such thing as freedom from those things. It would say, you just better suck it up and you need to suffer here on this side of heaven because that's what we do as humans. We suffer through it. But man, one day heaven is coming. Friends, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we said at the beginning, Jesus already did all of the suffering for us. His passion, his suffering paid the price. Let me remind you what we said last week. Those inner demons in your head, Those things that lie to you and say, be depressed, take your life, the depression, the anxiety, 
Yeah, that's a lie, but Jesus already paid for that suffering when he took a crown of thorns on his brow. Your sickness, he already paid for that with the suffering when he was whipped on his back. That internal stuff, the guilt, the shame, the twist, the iniquity, he paid for that when he suffered with bruising. And every sin, past, present, future, no matter what you have done or what you will do, was paid for with his suffering when he took nails in his hands and his feet on a cross. The suffering is done. And at the apex of his suffering, Jesus did not mince words. He said emphatically from that cross, it is finished. Death is finished. Victory is spoken for. Not just for eternity, but listen, right here, right now, on earth as it is in heaven. Let, let me be clear. There is such a thing as lasting joy. There is such a thing as lasting peace, as a clear conscience, as true freedom. It is available to every single one of us. These are not cliches that the naive Christian clings to like carrots being dangled going, okay, I got my crutch to stand on. No, these are prophetic promises made to every person who has placed their faith in the finished work of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible calls it the resurrection life, the life of freedom, the life of joy, the life of intention, the life of purpose. Yeah, it's available to us today. But just as it is with salvation, there's a line that you have to cross over in order to experience that kind of life. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You have to step over a line of faith for salvation where your eternal death is taken care of. But there's another line that we must step over in order to experience new life here on this side of heaven to deal with the earthly death. And that line is the line of water baptism. What? <laughs> I know that may have came out of left field, but let me tell you, what we're celebrating today has everything to do with water baptism. If you want to cross over that line to experience the resurrection life, it does not happen apart from water baptism. Let me, let me prove it to you as the band comes and we get ready to conclude here. Romans chapter six. Paul says, well then, should we keep on sinning? Should I keep on being addicted? Should I keep on being depressed? Should I keep on having to deal with this mindset and this broken ideology and this pattern in my life? Should I keep on doing this so that God can show me more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Well, how'd we die in it, Paul? Well, have you forgotten that when you joined Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. It is in the waters of baptism that we put death to death. It is in the waters of baptism where we, in our broken, fractured humanity, echo the words that Jesus yelled from that cross and we declare victory over death in our lives. Where we declare it is finished once and for all. I'm not who I used to be, but I'm aligning with what 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. And, and, and I love the way the Apostle Paul words it here. He, he, he says at the end of the scripture, now we may also live new lives. Translation, permission has been granted for you to live a new life. 
No longer is your life governed by that old sin pattern and the slavery to sin that you once had to fall prey to, but no, you have permission. Come on, we have permission to live a life of joy, a life of freedom, a life of purpose, a life of intention. How? Through water baptism. He says it's in the waters of baptism that the old you dies just as Jesus did, but a new you resurrects out of those waters to live in freedom. Water baptism. Maybe you're here today and you say, hey, Tim, I am one of those who has um, got the eternal death part figured out. Check, I'm good, I'm going to heaven, awesome. But you say, ah, I feel like I'm still dealing with some of the earthly death stuff here. I still got some, some stuff that I need freedom from. But let me, let me be as clear as I possibly can. There is no freedom apart from water baptism. You can try everything else on the planet, but this is the pattern that scripture tells us to follow. Repent and be baptized so that you can be set free. And if you are one of those this morning who would say, hey, I, I, I need some of that freedom, we're gonna fix that today. <laughs> in a TFH fashion, as we started last year, it's not just Easter Sunday, it is in fact Baptism Sunday today here at the Father's house. And in just a moment, if you need some freedom in your life and you have yet to be water baptized, we are going to participate in the happiest funeral service you have ever participated in in your life. Because just as Jesus opened up those graves when he said it is finished, we're gonna open up a tank in our atrium and we're gonna spontaneously allow anybody who is here that needs to be baptized in water to lay hold of that freedom and to get water baptized. Now. I know how you people are, because I pastor you, okay? And I know there's a thousand excuses in your head right now. So let me just take a moment and address every single one of those, because we've thought of them all. You're like, do you see me right now? I look amazing. I'm in my Easter outfit. I'm not getting into a tub in this. Fear not, we got you. A little baggy, inside that baggy, we got some shorts, we got a shirt. We have undergarments. We care about you that deeply. We have hair dryers and deodorant, everything you need to make sure that you don't have to get your Easter best all messed up, all right? Well, I didn't bring a towel. We have towels, it's gonna be great. Well, but there's some people that I would want to see this and they're not here with me today. We have photographers out there. We have a videographer out there. We'll get all of your information and we will send it to you so that you can share with anybody you want, even on your Instagram, getting baptized. You can do it. Like I said, I know how you are. But it's cold out there, Pastor Tim. We heated the tub. It's a warm bath out there, all right? They didn't have that in the Bible, all right? We got a warm tub. It's gonna be great. The only excuse you can give if you don't lay hold of this today, and you need to, is that you wanna live in bondage for a little bit longer. But if freedom is available to you, I can't think of a better day than Easter in 2022 for you to lay hold of the freedom that Jesus has for your life. So, I know that some of you are processors. You're like, okay, I think, am I might, I'm not sure. I'm the guy that's like, there's a cliff, whoop. But, but not everyone's like that. So as you're processing for just a couple of moments with the Holy Spirit, we're gonna do what we do every single week here. I'm gonna share a video with you right now about someone who is getting water baptized so that we can celebrate with him, Ryan, right there in the room today. And uh, hopefully this video is inspirational to you in some way and you'll probably know when, but at the conclusion, before we end the service, I want us all to stand to our feet one more time and celebrate the resurrection power of our King. You guys up for that? 
turn your attention to the screen. Check out this video. I used drugs and alcohol in every aspect of my life, you know, since I was 10 years old, you know, coming from a broken home. You know, my father's a drug addict, alcoholic, you know, my mom was a single mother trying to work hard. You know, I didn't have much guidance, didn't have much discipline, you know, didn't have a real father figure or anything to really look up to, you know, so I went down and kind of raised myself and was on my own for a very long time from a very young age. When I was 18 years old, uh, my mom had, I had already been kicked out of the house at that point and I uh, was living on my own. And uh, my mom, you know, she called me home one day and, you know, she gave me the news that she was sick. She bravely, courageously fought and battled with cancer for five years. And uh, during those five years was when I really started heavily getting into my addiction. I remember when I was, my mom was on hospice and, um, she was dying and I remember I was standing there, you know, with some family members and uh, I was holding her hand and I was literally watching her take her last breaths off this earth and all I could think about was hurry up and, and die already so I could go get high. Uh, that's how powerful that disease was. That's how powerful my addiction was. I had accepted the fact that I was going to die a heroin addict. I remember the, the day of when I had gotten clean and sober. You know, my best friend in the world called me that morning. You know, I had just, you know, ran out and I was, you know, on that jumping off point, you know, where I was starting to get physically ill because I needed my, my drug of choice. And uh, I picked up that phone call. I, I couldn't, I just absolutely broke down, started bawling my eyes out, crying. That's when God entered my heart and said, son, you're done. I hadn't used a drug and alcohol since. Next day is when I went to you know, an AA meeting and this time I actually showed up and was ready to do the work and listen to what they, what they had to say and what they had to offer. I was undergoing a transformation and an actual personality change. I realized like, wow, that's not Ryan, man. That's God working in my life, you know? And, and, and that's God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. I take no credit for my sobriety. All, all, all credit goes to God in my sobriety. Without Him, I'm nothing. Without God, I'm nothing. I'm just a drunk, I'm just an addict. You know, I was already starting to go to some churches, do a little church shopping, and I went to the Father's house, and man, I instantly fell in love. And now that I know Christ, and I have this face to put to my God, this relationship that I've had, you know, building and I've been cultivating over these last eight years, I finally have a face to put to it, man. It's just super exciting. So now it's like, I'm able to really just, you know, give myself and, and dedicate my life to this face, right? Which is Christ now. And it's, it's just, it's, it's beautiful and I'm excited and I'm stoked and I just want to go deeper. I just want to continue to just, you know, put my life out there for Him and to help others because that's what life's about. I, I'm so free and so happy now. You know, truly, genuinely free. Those chains have been broken, you know what I mean? And I'm a free man. That's Christ working in my life, you know, and, I, and I'm starting to see that. And I want more of it. I want more of it, man. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.